We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 5, breaking down every single game, all the fantasy angles from each matchup. A lot to get to, some teams on by this week, so some tougher lineup decisions to be making this week. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 5. John McCackney, Mario Puig hanging out with you on this fine Thursday. Tonight we've got uh, the Bears versus the Commanders taking place in the nation's capital. Uh, before we get there, though, Mario, we play in NFFC leagues, so the, the fab runs happened overnight uh, last night. So any notable pickups uh, across your leagues that either you made or, or bids that you saw that that kind of caught your eye one way or the other? Sorry, no, I actually did not really look this week because the one thing I was concerned about was I had uh, on both of my NFFC teams, Justin Herbert. So I wanted to have a particular, you know, bye week plan with the early season bye and uh, I had Howell already on my team. I drafted him embarrassingly high, actually, to make sure I had that lined up. So uh, with that lined up, I don't um, I, I didn't really have any care about what was going on this week. It seems, you know, uh, Puka Nakua and uh, what was it the, the, the running back recently? That was that was pretty high. It's like there's not as much this week. I, Jaleel McLaughlin, I guess, is the thing everyone's chasing, but I didn't care about McLaughlin, so I didn't partake. I, I definitely w- was, um, you know, my, my bid was a fart in the wind, a fart in the wind for, for McLeod as well. Like, I, I mean, I I was down to put 10%, but any more than like where I saw him uh, get the winning bid uh, on, on Fishbowl, it was like 40%. On NFFC, it was 41% in, uh, in the uh, fancy pentathlon uh, super flex league. He was 33%. So, I wasn't ready to go anywhere near that high on, on, on McLaughlin. I, I feel like, I guess I, I want to get your take on him because he, he wasn't really on either of our radars, given that he was, you know, a, a, a respectful, respectable Youngstown state alum go penguins. But do we know much about this guy or did, you know, what, what have you found so far? 
I do not know that much. It's a little tougher for me to evaluate guys like him being at the level of competition that they were. And he also wasn't a combine invite. So we only have pro day data. Sometimes that stuff gets a little messy. Like some of these, especially these, you know, tiny schools, uh, they'll have sometimes pro days running in like slight hurricanes or something because they don't have like indoor facilities and they don't have rubber tracks necessarily like those rubber tracks. The reason you see Ohio State players all run four twos, like uh, every every single player runs a four two there, and like Virginia Tech, uh, UCF stuff like that, they got rubber tracks. Wisconsin has that too. So uh, if you're running on a grass track and it's rainy and it's windy, you could be excused for having lesser testing numbers, which I do consider McLaughlin's testing numbers rather below average. He was credited with a four four six pro day forty at five eight one ninety two, and. The, the other numbers were bad. I, I don't care as much about vertical jump, broad jump, uh, the cone, the the shuttle. But for what it's worth, they were all bad across the board. So those those numbers don't matter as much to me as the 446, which is better than his his jumps and his agility timing drills. But I when I have a 5'8", 192 running back, I want to see them running like a 4'4 flat. Uh, whereas this, this four four six could be something like a four five or a four five two four five five something like that at the combine track. So if he's that small and if he's not, you know, I, I, it's not enough for me to just know that he's not slow. I need to know that he's fast. I, if you're one ninety two, I need you to be fast. And uh, I don't see that evidence. The production to this point in the NFL. It's 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 good. It's encouraging, but it's not the kind of thing that makes me change my plans, to be honest. I mean, the Chicago Bears defense sucks. It was just one game, seven carries, three catches. So uh, also, you got to keep in mind with a guy like McLaughlin at that build, there is almost certainly volume limitations. So I don't know what people are expecting of him. You know, some teams, some fantasy teams, it makes sense to get a guy like that, even if you uh, don't have, you know, a pie in the sky notions of what he's going to be it could be just that you're desperate enough and you got to spend this fab sometime and you know this next week maybe there's not even a mclaughlin on the wire so uh it makes sense for people to kind of go out and bid i just don't i wouldn't go making plans on it right i i wasn't uh again willing to to go uh to the percentage of your fab needed to to get him but i understand picking him up again like the the, the pickings were rather slim yeah uh, at, at running back this week but you know you your your kind of best case outcome for him is like Javante Williams misses a game and and then you know he he maybe outsnaps Samaje Piran but I just I don't see much more than than like flex or you know desperation RB two type of production in in the short term and I think that he could be you know someone that we're not seeing a whole lot of come November. Yeah. Uh... I, I, I kind of uh, I, I'm kind of um, citing myself when I say it, I guess. But, yeah, I don't I don't really expect McLaughlin to be a big deal by the time the year is over. I, I haven't looked that closely at this whole Javante thing, but Javante, I think, would need to be out for something like a month for me to be the one bidding some of these bids on McLaughlin. Right. And, and you know, that that's sort of it. it undercuts itself because he's already been picked up essentially everywhere. So, um, you know, this is. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens for for him this week, but um, not not holding a whole lot of long term optimism. It, I'll put it this way: someone in one of my leagues dropped not for McLaughlin, but they dropped Damian Harris, and I'd rather have Harris. Uh, boy, I, I have uh, a lot of Harris in, in uh, underdog that that needs to uh, 
come on, let's let's, uh, let's get going uh, there a little bit. I'm annoyed by Latavius Murray's presence, um, but beyond that, the, the herd uh, thins over the course of the year. I'm not saying I want Harris in my lineup over McLaughlin, but if I especially for the price at this point. It's like, I'd rather have Harris because if, if Murray or if, if cook needs to miss time or whatever, then Harris immediately is the guy that we're all spending 40% on. See, exactly. Um, I, I scooped Michael Wilson in, in a couple spots, um, where, where I didn't have him. I was, was good with that. Um, I'm encouraged by him. I, I like him in best ball. He seems good. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. So went, went that route. And then, uh, the, the Keaton Mitchell stash stash yes. of, of a couple of yes. weeks ago. It's about that's, to pay that's off, who baby. we're spending forty percent on. Not John; he already has Mitchell. But yeah, sorry, uh, don't even don't even bother looking. So, also another for what it's worth, I'm a Glockman. Keaton Mitchell clearly the better prospect. Not even you know we're talking many tiers apart, like three or four in my opinion. Yep, just cut on the tape, and uh, you'll understand um, when when it comes to him. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the, Ra- the rest of the Ravens' backfield uh, it lacks the juice, and Keaton Mitchell. Juice personified. Um, let's go ahead. Let's get things rocking for this week five slate. Let's get things rolling with the Thursday night game. We've got the Commanders, six point favorites against the Bears, six and a half at some shops. Um, I mean, Chicago. It was such a unexpected uh, out or offensive output, like in the box score alone, and watching the game. You know, Justin Fields has a career day through the air. Again, it was the Broncos who had just given up 70 points the the, the week prior. Uh, you know, they, they go into Washington now on a, on a short week. What can we expect for, from this Bears offense? Oh, man, this is an all-timer question, honestly. Like, I... <laughs> I don't know what either of these offenses are capable of. It's it's like we've seen both ends of the spectrum. In, uh, but particularly in Fields' case, it was crazy how he was like 23 of 24 or whatever before things started to go a little bit sideways. When he does that, and not that I'm blaming Fields so much specifically for his earlier season struggles, I, I definitely blame the team and the coaches. But, man, when he does something like that, compared to the first three weeks like what are we even supposed to do it, it, it's such a lose-lose having to make the call on that kind of thing because I, I just I think the correct position is you shouldn't have a belief and yet like we have to kind of give people something some kind of expectation and I I just honestly have none at all I have none but you know if you're really making me make a call I would sooner guess field struggles a little bit in this game just because uh, again, I am I am more of a Fields you know sympathizer than anything else, but that was Denver that he was playing, and if we must find a team dumber in the NFL than the Bears, it I don't think the Bronco I don't think anybody's dumber than the Bears, but the Broncos are in contention. You know, they don't have a good defense. Moreover, their defense has been trash all year, and uh, that was arguably a low point against the Bears. Because they had shown nothing on offense for you know twelve quarters before that, just absolute right. nothing. To go from absolute nothing to near literal perfection, just it's uh it's tough to sort out. But I do think that the Washington defense is much more imposing than uh, the Denver one. It's a defense that I think. Is, so you, you saw them give Forbes a lot more snaps last week, and he got beat up by AJ Brown a little bit. I still think Forbes is awesome. I think you know it that was the first game they gave him starter snaps and he's a rookie corner. 
Ricky that's Coleman the worst is, matchup you could put him on. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. <laughs> Forbes, we're going to keep you in shrink wrap until you, AJ Brown shows up, and then we're going to say, like, hey, go win the game for us, please. And if you don't... Yeah, he's he's only got 50 pounds on you. Yeah, he's, he's got 70 on him. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, But Forbes is good. It's just... And Forbes is going to get better. But... Um, in any case, I just mean to say, like, even though he got beat up by AJ Brown, and, and even though I would give you know DJ Moore the advantage over Emmanuel Forbes, it's like he was kind of Forbes was kind of like the weak spot that everyone's going to recall from that Philadelphia game. And to my in in my opinion, he's going to be a strength more likely going forward. So I see the Washington defense is pretty solidly built, pretty solid across the board. Uh, don't have any good sense of their scheming. I mean, that, uh, which is to say. I don't like Jack Del Rio. I I just haven't bothered to pay attention that closely in a long time to what his specific uh, tendencies are because it's all just some kind of version of bad to me. But it, it, Jack Del Rio can never be as bad of a defensive coordinator as every single person involved with the Bears is at whatever their job is. <laughs> well said. Um, and then let's uh, let's flip to the other side uh, of this one. Washington, you know, it outside of the week three game against Buffalo, like I feel like the offense has been slightly better than expectations. Certainly last week, uh, you know, put pushing Philadelphia to the brink uh, the way that it did. Um, I will needed that, but it, it, I got to, you know, give him credit that it was a pretty, um, as someone who was just about ready to throw in the towel on him, I, I had to kind of back off and, and, you know, admit that maybe we should let him keep making his case here. Yeah. I'm, I'm, so th- this week, you know, in your case, with, when you have Dustin Herbert on a bye, how's an obvious start? But I think he, he's a legitimate starting option uh, this week in, in a lot of yeah. leagues. We have him ranked it as QB 15. Um, Bears are bad, have, man. Yes, exactly. Like, I would – would I start him over Stroud? No. Mm. Um, Dak? Maybe. Um, sorry, who does Dallas have a gun here? The, there's mm. Sunday night against San Fran out there. Oh my God! Yeah, I think I would play Dak. <laughs> uh, just, just more out of respect to the 49ers defense and and totally. uh, you know bashing the Bears. Yeah, I mean that that's that's all you need. Those are those are two good you know kind of angles to to be drawing from. Um, let's see. I, I guess moving forward or for for this game, where do you think Washington has the most success? Is it is it on the ground or is it through the air against this Bears defense? I, I I imagine you can do both pretty easily. Yeah, I was gonna say if they if they only have one of the two, that might indicate trouble right there. Uh, they no offense in the NFL should have trouble against the Bears in any capacity, or at least like if they are somehow stymieing your run game, it better be because they are completely selling out against the run, and it better mean that you are going to respond by producing more as a passing uh, offense than you expected to something like that but uh i i of course think brian robinson is something like the 75th best nfl running back and i'm right but the 75th best (laughs) running back in the nfl can produce against a defense like this and it should uh i don't know what uh i mean i'm not going to expect a whole lot don't get me wrong and a lot of what robinson gets going for him is just that he spends so much time getting carries uh, certainly against the Broncos in that case is like against a tiring defense. And uh, eventually he just kind of plays out the proof of, you know, it, it, like as much as you can, the premise of like running backs, not mattering. It's like 
the situations where Robinson thrives are situations where any running back would, and this is one game like that to me. Yep. So the, he set up pretty well. I think he, he's definitely start worthy um, this week, even if we're uh, we're dubious uh, on the so challenge. high, man. If you got him in dynasty, just so high because once once something hits the fan, players like him are the first to go. Mm-hmm. Facts. Um, let's uh, let's get on over to Sunday slate. We got a London game, but before that, got a message from our friends over at Rival Fantasy. If you're looking for a place to play head-to-head fantasy football games without huge tournaments, salary caps, or complicated game types, then Rival Fantasy is where you want to play this NFL season. From a twist on a classic game with Fantasy Bingo, where players generate a lineup to complete achievements and go get bingo, to head-to-head fantasy challenges where you'll pick which of two players will score more fantasy points. This is the best of fantasy sports for the 2023 NFL season. Rival Fantasy is offering new users a $200 deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. Rival Fantasy is so confident you'll love the experience that they're giving you real money to play right out of the gate. Experience the future of fantasy sports on Rival Fantasy and become a rival Today, we also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And now we go to the Jaguars' second home, London. They will be playing the Buffalo Bills. The Bills technically the home team in this one. The Bills are five-and-a-half-point favorites. You were talking about throwing in the towel on how sounded good to, to say that out loud. Um, I'm close with the Jags, man. I, my, yeah. my, uh, <laughs> my, my leverage on, on uh, Trevor Lawrence and, and Ridley. I don't know what the, like the systemic problem is there in Jacksonville exactly, but you know, we're into week five and outside of like, you know, encouraging flashes in, in week one against Indianapolis, it's been just so like laborious for, for this Jaguars offense to, to get any sort of traction, any sort of momentum. Yeah. It's one of those things that has an obvious solution, but the solution might not be put into motion by the people who actually are sitting at any of the buttons. Cause if you know, it's, if, if it's so obvious and it is, then why didn't they already figure it out? And the answer is just kind of bleak in this case. It is as simple as it appears the defenses just know the Jaguars plays. They know the plays. And when the Jaguars try to do anything, the defense already knows what they're doing. And they jump to the same spot that the Jags are trying to go every single time. There's no exception to this. This is as simple as the situation is. The, the solution is similarly simple. Simple. You got to get a different play caller in there. Someone who knows what they're doing. This guy, Press Taylor, doesn't have it. And he could get better. He probably will. He can't get worse. He, you know, he, it, It's almost improbable that he wouldn't get better but that's only a measure of how useless he's been. And he's, he's been, I don't know, probably the worst play caller in the entire NFL so far, uh, other than the bears, I guess the bears are probably worse, but mm-hmm. Jags are the second worst. And until you stop making yourself play on the highest difficulty possible, if you, until you stop telling the defense what you're doing before you try to do it, it doesn't matter if you have the monsters, it doesn't matter how good your team is. You won't compete. Like you, you will, you will struggle to compete anyway. I should say like, you'll, You'll certainly fall well short of what you're capable of, well short of expectations in this case. But like it's it's just it's one of those things where it, it, like there's there's the Zach Taylor case, I guess, from last year where the Bengals kind of made some adjustments in the season after going a month or whatever of being awful. And I guess there's cases like that if we're trying to be super generous to press Taylor. But I would not that I have a you know tally list on hand, but I would sooner guess. Taylor cases don't happen as often as cases where the teams just stay bad. Uh, one thing I got to say, though, that makes it difficult for me to to write them off is that the talent is all there. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a top eight NFL quarterback. Calvin Ridley is as good as he appears to be. Part of Ridley slowing down in that last game, too, was that the Falcons did put A.J. Terrell on him, which was a change in the prior Falcons policy before that game. The Falcons were just playing uh, A.J. Terrell on one side. So... Yeah, it really going against Terrell, as we saw, he beat him for that touchdown. But every other Falcons corner is so much easier to beat that you're going to try to test your luck other places. But uh, yeah, they needed more with that said. Like the, the Falcons basically beat them like on defense. The, the Falcons defense didn't lose that game. The Jaguars just benefited from the Atlanta offense being worse than their own uh, for mm-hmm. talent based reasons, not for play calling reasons. Although whatever, that's a, that's a whole other thing, I guess. But uh, I, I think something has to change with the Jaguars for them to get better. 
maybe Doug Peterson taking over the play calling would be enough right there. I don't know. I don't know. Like I have a negative, I have a, a worsening viewpoint of Doug that any of this is happening. It seems to me like he's kind of just, I don't know. Like it, I, I don't know how this happens unless for kind of a lack of attention. I, I feel like he's kind of taking half days or something like that. And then this mm-hmm. is the result because it's like, Doug, you must know better than this. Like it, when you see the defense jumping your routes every single time you run one, you have to imagine that they have an idea what you're trying to do. And you have to wonder from their perspective, what they are not expecting that you might do. And then you have to do it. And press Taylor. I don't know what it is. I, I, it's, it's a struggle for me to even anticipate what would lead someone to conduct an offense the way he has, but he's, he's completely ignoring or completely incapable of understanding the dynamism aspect of football. Like you, it's not just making a theory of an offense and putting together a theory, a collection of plays. It's not just operating a, a certain like analytical split data principles. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if they're like data shows that this play yields this much success rate when run in this situation. So we got to use this play. Like if that's the kind of stuff they're following, that would explain why they're so bad because that stuff doesn't work. You have to have a dynamic, um, just like a, like a living, sort of understanding something that's capable of adapting and changing and sequencing your plays matters a great deal. What you put on tape matters a great deal because the defense will watch it. They'll see what you've done. And if you don't know what your defense is watching you do, you already are just hopeless. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a tough scene for them. And, and uh, Buffalo is certainly a tough test. I mean, it, it helps that the Jags have been in London um, but at the same time, I mean, I, I came away and very impressed by the Bills last weekend. There's pretty dominant performance from them against Miami, um, you know, and if, if they can slow down at a Miami passing attack that is pretty much the, the polar opposite of what you were describing there as far as being dynamic and using motion. Um, I, I thought that uh, Romo was making an, an interesting point on, on the broadcast where, um, you know, c- coming into the game last weekend, Tua had, I-, I think, like the quickest snap to throw time in the league, but also like led the league in air yards per throw. So that meant that basically he gets the ball, knows exactly where he's going with it, and it's down the field and boom, he, he connects with it. This time, it felt like the Romo was pointing out that the Bills were, were just kind of throwing off Tua's timing enough uh, to where he had to second guess himself, get to second reads. Yeah, disguised coverages. Yeah, and it, yeah, you it make them process. Really well. You make the you make when as a defensive coordinator, you want to make the quarterback process. You want you want to make them fall out of their rhythm because they're spending time that they don't have thinking about things that they, you know, hopefully they guess wrong on it too. But at the very least, you don't want to leave them as much time. And uh, McDermott is good at that stuff. I mean, McDermott's whole thing is he does a money ball defense sort of thing where they don't even have a great deal of blue chip talent, especially at like safety and at corner. Uh, the Tredavious white injury is a big deal, of course, but uh, you'll notice that Jordan Poyer was an undrafted corner out of Oregon state. Micah Hyde was a fifth round corner out of Iowa. And they take those two guys and make pro bowl level safeties out of them. That's because of scheme, you know, not to take away from Hyde and Poyer, like they're good players, but they're good because they get to play in a scheme that makes them the best they can be. And McDermott has an understanding of, of how to play that kind of football. And I have to imagine he's looking at press Taylor right now and he's just cracking up. Yeah. Right. So this is going to be a slog for the Jags offensively, uh, which is too bad because the the talent 
uh, on that offense. It's so frustrating that they're, they're so much less than uh, the, some of their parts. Hello to Dulce making a, an appearance uh, on the uh, broadcast for, for the. Uh, she keeps chewing the, on her foot, and I had to tell her to stop chewing on her foot. Got to intervene. Uh, Bentley is Bentley uh, behind me, the, the co-producer, and uh, Le, uh, Golden Doodle is uh, he's just sleeping. He's just sleeping. Uh, but um, beyond this, on, on the other side uh, of things, how do how much success do we uh, expect for the Bills offensively? Because Josh Allen's obviously playing at a high level. He's overtaken the lead in, in the NFL MVP odds. Uh, Stephon Diggs' monster game last week, just ridiculous stuff for, from him. Uh, the, the dot to Gabe Davis I thought was super impressive from Josh Allen. Um, so – is this all systems go for as far as the the Bills offense? It should be a fine setup for them. But one thing I would point out is, is so I, I I am still a little skeptical of the Bills offense. I think they have some issues. Their spacing, their, their spatial theory, I don't like it. Uh, however, even I thought going into that Dolphins game, like oh they're gonna rip. I didn't quite expect it to go that well for them. Don't get me wrong, but I thought yeah Josh Allen's going to kind of beat on these guys because it's they had the matchup advantage at s- several crucial points and then the urgency of the game the expected shootout nature of the game it, of course it kind of uh it, it when urgency and opportunity kind of intersect like that you get blow up games like that and i don't think they necessarily indicate any change in nature uh, i don't think it's i don't think it's like oh the bills have turned a corner unless they had made some personnel change that i could explain the difference by in this case i think i you just explain it by the matchup with the, namely the Dolphins have no corners. They were trying to ha- they were trying to shadow Stephon Diggs with Kader Kohu, who was a good slot corner for them, but their their outside corners were so bad they had to go make the decision that let's put our slot guy as a as a shadow guy on Diggs because he's the best that we have, and it was nothing, barely barely a speed bump to Stephon Diggs. Whereas at least the Jaguars have Tyson Campbell, and Tyson Campbell is quite a bit better than Kohu, so. Uh, the Bills, their issue that, as I see it, is that when Diggs is stalled at all, the math kind of just goes busted for everything else. Because if if Diggs so much as fails to hit 120 yards, Josh Allen getting to 300 becomes a difficult thing for me to uh, like project. So, right, I'm not that. I still would have to think Diggs, Diggs is still incredibly good. Like there are very few defenses that can slow him, very few corners that can run with him, and even when he does run into a corner that can you know, do something against him. There's usually a lot of safety help getting rolled that way. However, you do that as a defensive coordinator, 10 times out of 10, because Gabe Davis is their other big play threat. And I, I like Gabe Davis, but it's, that's actually Gabe Davis is like the, the quickest point to why I don't like the design of the bills offense. Like they try to use him in depths that are not his strength. And he's, he's great in the intermediate uh, he, he's more rugged underneath than he gets credit for. And he has average depth of target in this offense for three years now has been like 17 yards. So right. if that's your structure, then you need digs to go nuts. And if he doesn't, you're just right there in a lot of trouble. And I think that's going to be how it u- is usually for the bills. It, it's like they're, they're going to th- either digs goes or Allen needs to kind of press and, and find some way to kind of like run for the difference. Yeah. So that structurally, yeah, that, that that's all well taken. Um, as far as if if uh, someone was so inclined to do a, a showdown lineup for for this game, uh, any sort of fringe plays that you'd be interested in? 
Well, I would have liked Deontay Hardy, but Ken Dorsey's using him precisely the opposite of what I thought they would. And uh, that's another thing, too. Like if you're if Diggs doesn't go, you should have Deontay Hardy right there as a killer deep threat, at least on like a 25, 30 snap kind of role. And instead, they're just trying to use him like he's Isaiah McKenzie. Use Isaiah McKenzie like he's Isaiah McKenzie, not Hardy. Hardy can run routes downfield and you need someone to run those routes. Why are you not asking him to do it? So clearly that's driving me crazy to watch Deontay Hardy just do this. They do this thing where they do like the RPO thing off the snap and then they make Hardy just sit in the flats. Like that's crazy. Design some touches for him. Send him deep. He's really fast. Very few corners can run with him. You saw it in new Orleans, how to use Deontay Hardy the right way. And they're doing it the opposite. So um, as far as projecting like a, a turned corner for the bills, it would have to come down to Hardy for me. It's because Hardy gets used in a way, especially downfield that he should have all along that they haven't to this point. That's what I could see changing the bills offense. As far as Dalton Kincaid getting more work, I mean, it's showdown, sure, and in, you know, in general fantasy, if he's playing 35, 40 snaps every week, then something good has to happen eventually. But notice, it has not yet, even though it should have. And it's because the structure doesn't really give him the space. It doesn't give Allen the space to work with when you just make the field smaller by putting a second tight end on the field instead of a slot receiver with some vertical ability. So uh, it's it, you, you assume James Cook gets pretty much the backfield aside from Murray and Harris pitching in Harris got a neck thing right now so more so Murray at the moment but uh I don't see uh, this is part of a problem and again with the Bills I don't see the flexibility for them to have obvious answers like well if Diggs doesn't go then this guy goes so if you're fading Diggs and showdown then pick this guy they just kind of run out of options no de- definitely so th- it's it's a funky collection that they have in this skill group and obviously Dorsey isn't getting uh that the most out of it but regardless feel off the field too it's like start putting some players who can actually do something with the ball on the field and you just might see them do it unbelievable concept so uh, all this said i still like the bills to to cover oh, of course. five and a half but but yeah. uh yeah they they, they, suck. Yep. <laughs> they they do and it's uh it's really really hurting um let's get on over to a team that doesn't suck from the afc south that's right folks the houston texans Coming to my backyard. Division champs, John. Soon. Soon. Get that yeah. bet in while you still can. Um, while it's still like four to one. Um, they are playing the Atlanta Falcons here in Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, you know, obviously one week or the no bye week between their their London appearance and playing another game. So we'll see how that works out for for them. Uh Houston, it was JJ Watt Day and they were in the Battle Reds. So like that that even even when it's a bad Texans team, you, you got to give them a fighting chance. But they, they obviously put it on the Steelers last week. Stroud continues to be uh, the most impressive uh, rookie quarterback. And and uh, he's taken over the um, the odds on favorite for uh, rookie of the year on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, how do you think that this Falcons defense offers anything that that could, um, you know, kind of trip up the, this uh, this Houston attack as we're as we're seeing it roll? over these last few weeks? Not really. I know I've seen some talk about the the Falcons defense being good and this and that, and I don't buy it. I think it's, I think it's one of those cases where if they got tested, they'd fold pretty quick. Uh, with that said, um, the, the Texans are getting by a little bit, I think on sort of uh, cunning, you know, the, the, the play calling, the scheming of Bobby Slowick must be, 
pretty good. You know, basically the the opposite of Press Taylor in Jacksonville. It's like whereas teams, uh, uh, you know, going against the Texans, you have some idea of what their receivers are capable of. It's like, well, Nico Collins is going to be the outside guy and the downfield guy, and uh, Tank Dell is going to be in the slot, and he's going to be kind of like him and Robert Woods are going to be kind of horizontal. There are certain tendencies that are obvious enough, and their offensive line has been completely uh, hydrogen bombed all year. And yet defenses can't seem to get for more than a drive at a time, any sort of traction against the Texans offense of all teams. And uh, that's not, not trying to take away credit from Stroud or anything like that. It seems to me like it's, it is that Stroud is that good. And Slowick is that good too. Whereas with the Falcons, it's like, they got a couple good players here and there. Maybe their coordinator is even pretty good. I don't really know, but I, I just don't see how the, the Falcons get any reliable traction here, given that the prior Texans opponents haven't like what, what would Atlanta be better at I, asking rhetorically? I'm pretty sure the answer right. is not much. No, I, I think uh, Houston set up for, for a nice day uh, offensively here. Um, I, I guess, you know, Nico Collins doing what he's doing, but it, are there any kind of secondary options in this receiving core? Like it has, have you changed your tune on, on tank Dell at all? Is there anything else like beyond Nico Collins in this passing game that that's uh, catching your eye? I think Dell's a good role player. I thought last week, predictably falling back down to earth. A lot of that Jacksonville game production was just kind of on busted coverage. Basically uh, you'll notice tank Dell's average depth of target is still at 12.9. And that's way too high for him to sustain in any way, in my opinion. Like he's he's got to get that depth of target closer to something like eight uh, for him to project in like a, a stable sort of usage, in my opinion. Like guys as small as him, as slow as him, they don't threaten the boundary. They don't threaten vertically. They're good at getting guys to lose them in coverage horizontally. But like, at the very least, you need uh, probably a healthy offensive line and strong blocking to get someone like Dell past 15 yards regularly. So he has a role to me. It's just kind of subject to like what the matchup is, what defense gives the Texans to work with. Because uh, for instance, if a defense is leaving over the middle or sort of like short out routes open, if, if they're, if they're spamming Nico Collins's range of the field, if they're, if they're sitting on woods for some reason, Slowick will find it and find some spot that the defense is selling out from and, and, and attack it. So it's all on the table every week with these guys. And I think uh, Dell has a certain reliable nature that that means he won't disappear for too long. But I think when, if people are getting hopes up for like that Jacksonville game, that's too much to me. The good weeks from Dell look more like that Colts game where he caught seven for 72 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets that, that seven catch for 72 yards kind of thing looks sustainable to me. Whereas you know, five catches for 130 or whatever those those are only happening when the when the coverage the zone coverage is handled wrong exactly um and then uh with uh, i will say uh that it looks like houston uh help is on the way uh, on the offensive line titus howard was a full participant in wednesday's practice laramie tunsil limited uh so we'll, we'll see if he, he ends up being ready to go but titus howard alone i, I think would be a big help uh, if he's able to come off of uh, uh, injured reserve, so that that that's yeah, that, certainly it, they've had. That's what's so crazy too about how good Stroud has been, how good the whole offense has been. It's like any other offense would have a perfectly good excuse for going in the toilet with what they've had happen on the offensive line. 
Totally. Um, and then uh, uh, one other fantasy note on the on the Texan side, Damian Pierce was limited Wednesday. He's got a bit of a knee. Um, your thoughts on him right now? Because outside of last week, he's been kind of dreadful. I think he's good. I thought it was kind of it's a predictable outcome that when an offensive line is this battered, you know, whereas with the the play sequencing and the the route combos, the play calling that Bobby Slowick's done, you can kind of find ways to 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 look into what the defense is giving you and, and attack it. With a running game, if you don't have space, you can't do anything about it. And Pierce clearly has not had space. So the offensive line improving, uh, rather than me projecting improvement for Stroud, I would sooner, if, if the offensive line were to get healthier and, and improve as a result, I would project help for Pierce because uh, he's just not getting space. And I always mention this when a, when a guy's, when a running back's run blocking is totally awful. And when there's nothing to do when he gets the carries check to get a better measure of uh, his actual, you know, running ability, check his pass catching production and see what that looks like. Because I uh, saw this with the saints the past couple of years, like they would play with bad offensive lines and bad quarterbacks. And they would say like Alvin Kamara, just take carries on all these plays. We used to give you Drew Brees targets and please carry the offense. And, unsurprisingly his rushing returns declined really sharply but his per target numbers stayed the same because those plays were just sort of created in space inherently like as a pass catcher you are not as dependent on the offensive line to create the space for you and so if if pierce were showing something like you know granted he had this exact number last year 4.2 yards per target. if he was showing 4.2 yards per target rather than 6.2 maybe i'd be thinking like oh Pierce is is not getting anywhere. He's too sluggish. Maybe he's hurt. I don't know. But whereas, you know, with with offensive line injuries that they've had, I I look at their team and just say, like, no one's running in this offense. Yeah. Uh, So getting some offensive line help would would certainly, you know, be a be a boon. But we'll obviously have to keep uh, a, a close eye on Pierce's injury status over these next couple of days, Um, as I suppose. Singletary would be an okay flyer um, if Pierce is out, but the fact that he was limited, not out on on Wednesday, I think he he should be okay to play on on the Atlanta side of things. Um, we're we're seeing Bijan Robinson have success. Everything else is you know very kind of Jaguars esque. It's it's really difficult for this offense to to do anything. Yeah, whereas I would say with the Jaguars, it's the issue is their offensive coordinator has no idea what he's doing. I think the bigger problem with the Falcons is they don't have a quarterback. And, I'll, you know, Arthur Smith is compounding that with his stubbornness and everything else. Uh, but to me, the extent of Arthur Smith's failure is just in the fact that he apparently is standing by and vouching for Ritter and Mariota the last year. Like, if they had Justin Fields right now, they'd be totally fine. Like they, they, they have Ritter instead. And uh, it's a shame. I mean, I, he seems like a good guy. It's not, he doesn't deserve to be treated the way like Mac Hollins, that idiot. Like, wow. How shocking is it that Mac Hollins turned out to be a, a stupid moron prick when uh, he was saying straight faced all off season about how like he doesn't wash his hands or, or he said like, he I, eats with his hands. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't use silverware. He, Eat, eat with your hands. It's natural, he says with a straight face. Like, okay, so you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, him, him doing that thing where he's like, you know, don't talk to me, Desmond Ritter. It's like, you're Mac Hollins. Yeah, You bro. are Mac Hollins. What are you good for anyway? Shut up. So, um, yeah, it's not Ritter's fault. 
that he's not very good. It's it's and it's not his fault that he's on the field. It's it's Arthur Smith's fault. It's uh whatever Fontenot, whoever it is, his fault. But uh yeah, this offense is not serious. It's a joke. And uh yeah, they're they're uh they're not gonna go anywhere and Arthur Smith's gonna get fired. Yeah, it's feeling that way. Uh I'm putting out the Heineke signal. Um it, it's My on God, seriously. It uh yeah, I, I even saw your, your tweet last week and it's like enough. Heineke now. Uh I agree with I with, still with believe that it. Yes, yeah, I'm copy and pasting that one. If nothing else, he he makes the Falcons a lot more entertaining. That guy, as a recurring bit on this show, he's like a jackass character playing football. <laughs> guy yeah, just... he, he had all of his passes have to be thrown off of falling ladders, and it's just great. <laughs> it's it's the best. So it, give us some entertainment value. Give us Taylor Heineke uh, in Atlanta. I, I think that uh, the clock's ticking there. Um, but before he takes. Over, I did see uh, in some super flex leagues, Heineke get picked up in a bunch of spots this week. So I, I think uh, the community also agrees that that it, it's the Earth Heineke. cries for Heineke. It it doth. It certainly doth, Mario. Um, let's uh, let's keep going here. Uh, we've got the Panthers against the Lions. Lions hefty ten point favorites in this one. Not surprising. Uh, you know, Carolina outside of the the defensive touchdown last week. Uh, not impressive um, overall. Not surprising. I, I liked. I, I was torn on on which side I liked for the spread in that game because it's hard to trust the Vikings, especially on the road. But when it oddly enough, when it was Bryce Young instead of Andy Dalton, I was like Vikings, Vikings, give me the Vikings. Uh, yeah, the Panthers. What can you say? Uh, it's not good. It's not good when your first overall pick is clearly worse than Andy Dalton. It's just. It's one of those. It's not a data point that determines everything. It's not a data point that ends the story right there. But as far as a one data point variable can can be concerning, it doesn't get much worse than that. It just does not. And I feel bad for Bryce Young. He seems kind of like, a, you know, he seems very like good natured and just kind of like didn't seem to understand what he was getting into because he's, he's probably one of those guys who just, you know, grew up a certain way believing everything he was told and just doing his best trying to do the right thing and basically getting you know rewarded for uh trying to do the right thing trying to be basic decent you know quarterback person and everything and now he's he's seeing how harsh life can be and Mm -hmm. how how uh how bleak things can turn so suddenly on a person who whose world was just golden and shiny before that and you're, see, you're seeing him make kind of faces that you never really he – he always had that kind of just like, you know, smiling disposition even when things were kind of going wrong before. And you saw last week he kind of he kind of looked like he was cracking a little bit. And I, I feel bad if that is if that is what's happening, if he's having some sort of like a loss of his faith or something, you know, all because the stupid Panthers drafted him. But I don't think Bryce Young has it. And it's not, not his fault, you know, it's like – it's it's hard to be a starting five foot ten quarterback in the NFL when you can't run as fast as Kyler Murray. Like it's just simple as that. And it's Kyler Murray wouldn't be any good either if he couldn't run. You know, so right? It's uh it's a difficult thing. It's it's not his fault. He didn't ask for these expectations, but uh, I see no way for it imp- to improve. I think he's just he's he's going to be a backup someday. And right now, the the Panthers are just going to writhe and kind of like 
leave him to the wolves until that point in time comes. And I, I, uh, yeah, not expecting a good game here for the Panthers anytime soon, really. Nope. Um, and, uh, the, in the, uh, NFL rumor mill, um, there, there is some, some word out, I believe it was Tuesday night that the, the Panthers are in the market for, uh, a, a true wide receiver one. Um, and it, it, there is like the, it feels like the Tim Robinson hot dog guy. I mean, like we're all trying to find who did this, the team that, that gave away DJ Moore this off season, obviously that I guess they, they needed to do that to complete that trade with the bears to get Bryce young, but yeah, don't look at what they traded to get Bryce. Young. <laughs> it, it, get, it gets worse every time you look at it. Um, but, uh, it seems like it, we don't have to spend a, a ton of time on this, but it, it seems like Jerry Judy would be the, the one that, that fits the best because he's still on his, his rookie deal. I guess. I mean, they have Thielen in the slot. They, they also the receivers have done nothing wrong. They, uh, they're crazy. There's, this is <laughs> they're liable to do anything when they subscribe to a notion as silly as like, oh, the the receivers just haven't made our number one pick quarterback good yet. Like, well, did you ask Andy Dalton what he thinks about that? He was fine. He was totally fine. Yeah. He so crushing. Anyway, the Lions side uh, looks good. Uh, David Montgomery should have another big game here because the Panthers are going to do a lot of uh, spending time on the field as a defense and not moving the ball as an offense. And uh, somebody's got to run out that clock. I don't know where that came from. I, I apologize for that, but we had a uh, video or autoplay. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, I didn't hear it, so it must have been just in your headset. Okay, or maybe it's all just in my head generally. That's um, but beyond that, um, Jameson Williams come back this week. Had, had the suspension shortened expectations there? I think he's getting swifted. Not mm. not not freaking Taylor Swift, John. Uh, yeah, you had me going for a second. Uh, yeah, Dan Campbell already. I mean, I like Dan. It's, it's the the book on him. The story is not written or anything, but. Uh, when they shipped out DeAndre Swift because they didn't, uh, I guess, like the way he carried himself in practice or whatever stupid thing it is that they cared so much about, it's like you've you've valued something much more than results. And I I just whatever it is, I don't care. I, I can't I can't subscribe to it. I don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but they're doing the same thing to Williams, where it's like, hey, Jameson Williams, why aren't you Amon Ross St. Brown? Hey, Dan, how about you ask Amon Ross St. Brown why he isn't Jameson Williams? Ask him why he doesn't run a four three. Why why doesn't he run a killer thirty yard post route? It's like it's just it's such an arbitrary thing, and that's what's annoying to me. I guess is that you know Swift clearly could have done all along for the Lions what he's doing for the Eagles right now. And Dan, Deuce Staley, whoever it was, they were like, yeah, we know you what you're capable of, and we know that if we put you on the field, you'll do it. But for some reason, we care a great deal about the way you carry your body language and practice more than that, or whatever it is, and. Um, in the case of Williams, it's not just that they're doing the thing where like, hey, like as they were with Swift, where they were saying like, why can't you just be LeGarrette Blunt or something? Why can't you be, you know, these guys and now they're doing it to Jameson Williams. Like, why aren't you Amon Ross St. Brown? Like, why don't you run seven yard slants into a, a big hit from an outside linebacker and hold on to the ball every time? It, it's a ridiculous thing to ask a player like him. It's like, you're not even using them that way. Why are you subjecting them to these standards all of a sudden? I, I have no idea what it is, but I don't expect Dan to change. I mean, the, the, the Lions are being validated for their approach with these early season wins. So I think they're going to be stingy toward Jameson Williams and not even really let him play. 
Are they going to have a choice though? They they do have yeah. some, some injuries yeah. in this receiving. <laughs> Did they have a choice to go with take uh, Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson over DeAndre Swift? You would think mm-hmm. not, and yet they did it, and they they have shown no remorse at all for it. If anything, they seem to be getting validated for the approach. So, uh, yeah, James Williams, in my opinion, is clearly good. Uh, however, with that said, and it would be funny if this is part of the frustration from Campbell, it, Williams is not a receiver who fits with Jared Goff. Jared Goff can't make a throw downfield unless it's off play action, and James Williams lives downfield. So if you want to run – play action to get Jameson Williams the ball like what are you, we're talking like maybe four catches a game or something like that the rest of the time Goff can't hit the broad side of the barn or at least he can't while he's also trying to manage the defense with his eyes or whatever else so I just think nothing's I think James Williams is going to be on another team next year good very well could be uh what a waste but you know we're we're early and the Lions are going to tail off yet the Lions yeah. will not ultimately be vindicated for any of this. They're going to be the same wild card team they were last year, and they're still going to get nowhere because the quarterback is Jerry Goff. Strong, but you know what? Fair. The 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 history is, is certainly on your side in that case. Uh, before we get on over to our next game, we've got a message from our friends over at Circa. It's football season at Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Featuring the best pool in history, Stadium Swim, can attest. Been there a few times, very good pool. Three levels, six pools, and a 143-foot diagonal screen. Stadium Swim is America's favorite place to watch football. Playing every game from college to the pros. Catch all the action poolside from a variety of seating options, including everything from cozy daybeds to private Temperature-controlled cabanas, Stadium Swim, located at Circa Resort and Casino, is open 365 days a year. All sports, all seasons. Book today at CircaLasVegas.com. That's CircaLasVegas.com. Stadium Swim, also a great place to watch the MLB All-Star Game and Home Run Derby, as I've done the last couple of years. A lot of fun. Um, Let's keep rocking here. We've got uh, the Titans and the Colts. Uh, Perhaps the most confusing game. Uh, on this slate, we've got the Titans one and a half or two and a half point favorites, depending on where you're looking. Indianapolis is at home in this matchup. Titans, I mean, they lambasted the the Bengals last week in Indianapolis. It, it kind of in a weird way, like playing the, the bizarro version of themselves on the NFC side with, with the Rams. I kind of put them in a similar box. Um, they, they look different, of course, but, you know, I, I think overall expectations around the same, but Titans, I, I cannot figure them out. And that, that always puts me in kind of an anxious position when, when analyzing them. I think it's just as simple as Burrow can't really play right now. And you know, the, the Vrabel defense, Vrabel ball happened and Vrabel ball is a lot like people probably hate that we keep bringing it up, but I don't know how a person, uh, understands the world that we live in without the water boy and uh, the bourbon bowl offense is kind of what the Titans do. And if your own off, if your own team can't play bourbon bowl ball, then you're in trouble because in, in the, you know, the Bengals case, they had a pretty good defense. Yes. But their offense was kind of like pretty boy offense and they can't play the bourbon bowl style as well as the Titans can. And yet with burrow unable to play because of his calf issue, they're, the Bengals' only option two was Bourbon Bowl, and they, they got out Bourbon Bowl. So 
Uh, I think that's as simple as that. And I think any game that isn't the Bourbon Bowl is similarly a pretty much open and shut loss for the Titans. Like they need to bring the other team down into the mud with them and they can wrestle anybody there. But if you just don't, if you just don't get snared by them initially and, and brought to their level, the fact that they can't play offense comes back to hurt. More specifically, they can't throw the ball at all. Like the, right. the pass blocking is just way too bad. Tannehill's no matter, even if they keep Tannehill at like under 20 passes a game, the rest of the way, I'm sorry, he's going to get hurt. No one can stay healthy behind this offensive line. And uh, you can only hide this offensive line by running the ball. So in a game where the Titans fall behind a little bit, they can't run quite as much. You see something more like those first three weeks when people were like, why is Ty J sharp playing more? Uh, Ty J Spears. Sorry. It's playing more than uh, Derek Henry. And it's like, well, because the game keeps getting out of hand and they don't know. They kind of just, you know, they, they, they just spasm and don't really execute an on schedule offense. The only way they can schedule uh, execute an on schedule offense is where they can lean on Derrick Henry for 20, more likely 25 plus carries. And I don't know in any given game, how easy that is to do, let alone, you know, this particular game. And I guess, uh, the, the Colts gave up a little more on the ground last week than I would have expected, but I have to believe that's because De, uh, DeForest Buckner was not healthy at all. And I noticed this week he has not practiced yet either. So if DeForest Buckner is not DeForest Buckner, the entire Indianapolis defense is up for renegotiating. Like it's just, he, he is the entire foundation of it all. And I know DeForest Buckner doesn't really get a lot of chatter for, for being like an elite player. He's, he's uh, I know he's well-recognized, but, People don't understand that that guy is probably one of the five best defensive players in the whole league. And when he is not himself, other all the players around him start looking worse too. So if if he's not himself, then the Derrick Henry, uh, the, the the Bourbon Bowl offense might be on the table again for the for the Titans. But uh, yeah, I just I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to put uh, you know a probability percentage or whatever on the chances that Tannehill has to throw 20 passes because if he does that's enough right there to make the whole thing go sideways no that definitely they they need to be able to run the ball if if um if Buckner is sidelined maybe that that helps tilt things towards uh Tennessee side but he played last week but just must not have been as effective or something because he he didn't practice at all and then he played presumably to Mm -hmm. mediocre effect or something Exactly. And then um, on the Indianapolis side, we saw Jonathan Taylor log a full practice on Wednesday. Um, He could return as early as this week. If he does, does that change your opinion on this game? Uh, It can't hurt the Colts, but the one, the other thing the Titans have going for them is that we haven't seen anyone prove they can run on them. It's like the, the Eagles, the Titans, the, I guess the Buccaneers when Vita Bay is healthy. It's like those three teams, no one's really running on them. And uh, I mean, I, I expect Taylor to do be- uh, better in a, a bad matchup like that than I would any other given running back. I just don't know if it's enough to change the course of the game specifically, especially because I don't know. I don't know what I expect of Anthony Richardson in this game, I guess. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a good game or a bad game because I, I bet Vrabel can be tough on a rookie quarterback. I, I just uh, his defensive scheming. It's like he he might know some tricks that it's just like, oh, I'll all rookies hate these plays. And I, I kind of, I guess I give Vrabel the benefit of the doubt as far as that goes. So because I can't convince myself that Richardson has a good game passing, I don't know if Taylor's return changes a whole lot, but if you could assure me that Richardson has a good game passing, then I would say like, okay, well 
if if the offense is getting first downs so that the running game uh sorry if the passing game for the offense is getting first down so that jonathan taylor doesn't have to specifically every time then that opens up the possibility that the defense adjusts a little bit and then leaves a crack open that they don't in the first quarter to jonathan taylor uh so if richardson has a good game i think taylor could break loose in like you know second half i guess uh but yeah, it's it's a tough matchup. The Titans, they're just really, really gnarly in the front seven. I'm going to be in the state of Indiana this weekend for a, a destination wedding in the state of Indiana on Saturday. So uh, I don't know. Uh, hopefully I get out of there and don't have to deal with any Indianapolis game day traffic. That's that's pretty much my, my lasting take on this game. You go to literally more weddings than anyone on earth it's crazy it's, it's preposterous i'm so tired dude <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah thank you thank you for going to mine by the way sorry to uh, add to your travel exhaustion um, oh that that was the best that was awesome but yeah i gotta i gotta say uh i, I saw adam leviton uh totally good analyst but he uh, was making a seinfeld reference to jonathan taylor coming back to the colts practices as being the same as when george costanza uh, was it Jim uh, Sensenbrenner, the the Yankees owner? He was working Steinbrenner. For? Steinbrenner. Uh, I was thinking of the Wisconsin state senator again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Steinbrenner. He when he says like I quit, and then he just shows up on Monday and acted like it never happened. It's like they're saying like, oh, that's Jonathan Taylor. It's like, no, that's Jim Ursay. Jim Ursay started this whole thing because he leaked to the press that he was going to put Taylor on the NFI list with a with a fake back injury, and then I I know this is what happened. Team lawyers had to tell him like, well. Jim, if you fabricate an injury, it'll open up this whole process to examining evidence of whether the injury existed. And eventually a court will determine that you made it up and we'll be on the hook for a whole hell of a lot of lawsuit problems. And then Jim was like, oh, well, well then we'll just uh, put him on the PUP list. He, he's been faking that he has that ankle injury. Well, I'll show him. You know, I'm, I'm not the loser. I'm not going to lose on this. He's going to sit. And so he meant to do the NFI thing for the back injury in retaliation for Taylor milking the ankle injury, which he never really had. And that was Ursay's attempt to retaliate. Ursay is the one who raised the ante to the point of, of making Taylor miss time. That wasn't Taylor. That was Ursay. Ursay is George Costanza in this analogy. I, I, uh, my Seinfeld knowledge, uh, this may disappoint some of our listeners, but I, I'm Team Simpsons all the way as far as my, my 90s shows go. And I wish more laugh tracks were, are hard. like, hey, it's just not. Not my I love bag necessarily, but I never watched Seinfeld. Yeah, not not for me. Not not for me. I wish more owners were, were like uh, Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. <laughs> now that guy, that that's how you should do it if you're like a, a way too rich guy. That is a franchise just, owner. Yeah, yeah. You got to own a flamethrower and have a secret underground lair and uh, have captured James Bond. Um, let's continue. We've got the Giants and the Dolphins. Holy crap, the Giants on on Monday night. I mean, that was one of the more abysmal displays I've ever seen. I, the the schedule makers, they, they biff it every year because they give too much credence to the teams that came out of nowhere, that, that play in a big market, and they put them on national TV way too much. This was, what, the third time in four games that, that the Giants have been on national television I feel and, like every channel on my TV, no matter what I turn it to, it's it's Danny Dimes Television. It's, it's Danny Dimes Marathon. And and I've got the Clockwork Orange uh, Ludovico uh, eye thing on, and it's 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 tough. And no one's there to give me eye drops either. So it, it's just man. But 
I mean, even if the offensive line get, gets a little bit of help back and there's no promise that, that it does, um, I mean, is there anything that the Giants are going to be able to do? I was shocked when I looked at the box score on Tuesday morning and saw that Daniel Jones actually completed 27 of his 33 passes. It was like, I thought every time he dropped back, it was, you know, some sort of disaster happening. But I mean, in a way it was, but he was completing the passes. Yeah, he was making meaningless completions, which is a definitely a kind of thing. I'm so biased on this point. I, I don't know if I'm really offering actual analysis or just kind of like repeating myself, but uh, Daniel Jones and the Giants offense having problems like this, I think was predictable, even if Saquon Barkley had been healthy. Like I admit, Barkley's not changing, uh, you know, the 49ers game, probably not changing the last one either, but and uh, actually he probably would. He might've changed the Seahawks one. The Seahawks aren't, I'm not sold on their defense at all. But uh, the whole thing about last year was if you were watching the Giants and even if you just look, even if you didn't watch them, if you look at their numbers, their peripherals said this too. They're going to, they were going to get hit hard by uh, not, not just kind of like the correction that everybody has uh, spotted and anticipated with the Vikings. Uh, Just, you know, your luck doesn't stay good forever, basically. But also the peripheral numbers of the Giants offense said like, this is not sustainable. Uh, for a couple reasons like one was that even even despite people feeling like they were successful that year even though there was this tone of optimism around the Giants Daniel Jones was still bad like I don't I can't I was going crazy all offseason trying to get people to understand this like Daniel Jones was bad last year and people are doing this thing oh you gotta admit Daniel Jones he's like I have to admit what that he threw 15 touchdown passes what the hell is going on since when do we care about 15 touchdown passes no one has ever cared about that until Daniel Jones needed to have a hundred and sixty dollar a hundred sixty million dollar contract justified and then all of a sudden 15 touchdowns is great what is going on and like the thing that the thing that was so bad about that too is like it was happening in the context of them only throwing underneath okay and that's the way that the, the interceptions and the fumbles decreased. They only had Daniel Jones throw underneath. And Brian Dable is still a good coach, a good play caller. I don't doubt that, especially in that first year where they didn't have tape of the Giants offense, that he was kind of getting one over on defensive coordinators pretty uh, pretty consistently because y- you don't have the tape that we do going into this year. If, you're, if you have the element of surprise working for you as the Giants, then last year kind of can be possible but when you don't have the element of surprise and if daniel jones can't do something new that he didn't do in 2022 then you're just going to end up kind of in like the jaguars positions like defenses know your plays now and tricks that worked for you last year they're ready for it this time in which case you need to have a new trick yet you need to have a third you need to have like a second trick so that when they look for the last one they find something else instead and what you're still finding is that Daniel Jones can't throw downfield. Daniel Jones, like the Darren Waller thing was supposed to fix all that. And it's kind of funny in hindsight to, to remember all those training camp reports, like Danny Dimes is unstoppable and he's throwing to they Darren Waller. To take, they had to take Waller out so that he would throw touchdowns to other guys. Cause they were only going to Waller. Yeah. And in, in the training camp reports, you hear people say like Daniel Jones is on fire. He's throwing to Darren Waller almost every play and no one can stop him. It's like, okay, well listen to yourself. Do you really expect the Giants offense to step onto a regular season game field and then only throw to Darren Waller? Are you anticipating Darren Waller having uh, games like Terrell Owens against the Bears however many years ago where he set the reception record in that game? Because that's what you're describing in training camp, which sure makes it sound like it's just the Giants defense can't cover Darren Waller. And as soon as they run into someone who can, 
I bet you don't have an answer of what to do next. And we're seeing that's very much the case. Like, especially without Saquon Barkley uh, dictating the safety alignments, the safety depths, Daniel Jones is exactly as bad as we always said he was. And there's nothing they can do about it. They can face lesser defenses when he faces a lesser defense then sure, he's fine because, you know, the, the defense is bad. And especially in fantasy, Daniel Jones will run and get you those points like he did against the Cardinals. Uh, so I guess with to back up a little bit and give uh, more of a context of just this game specifically, I don't see any huge reason for like a red flag here going against the Dolphins, but I would have been much more sure yet that he would have a good game against the Seahawks, whose pass defense was absolute garbage before it faced Danny Dimes. Yeah, so uh, this is a is a tough spot for for the for the Giants. Uh, not not holding out a whole lot of optimism for my shares of this offense. My Waller ones, uh, not heavily leveraged there, but it doesn't feel like with, when he's attached to Daniel Jones and they can't block, can't give him any time. I mean, it's just a, a brutal setup, and there, there's really nothing to to look at as far as the receiving core, in in my opinion. It's, I'll boldly predict the Dolphins do well, though. I'll I'll go ahead and put that one in. I think yeah. uh, Devin Achen, uh pretty good. Yeah. Uh, what does it even say about that guy? I mean, I I don't remember a player like him before. I don't know how to. I, I, we're going to see some probably like really bad analysis about what Devin Achan means because when you when you try to like find historical precedent for numbers like his you're probably going to get driven to hall of famers, you know, like and, Chris Johnson, Jamal yeah. Charles. And yeah, I, I don't mean if, if Devin A. Chan ends up in the hall of fame, I'm not going to say I'm truly shocked because I, especially the longer he plays with Mike McDaniel, I mean, we, we were, we were saying all off season, John is like Mike McDaniel has Tyreek Hill, the fastest player in the NFL to work with and Jalen Waddle, you know, he's, he's the slow poke of the group. Now mm-hmm. uh, you give him the second fastest player from scrimmage. And you let him do all that, you know, evil genius lab work that he does, making those plays that he cooks up. What exactly do we expect to happen? I don't know. I didn't expect quite uh, six touchdowns in two weeks or 200 yards on 18 carries against the Broncos. None of that stuff did I expect. But uh, Devin Achan is the real deal, and he's not going to go anywhere. There's volume limitations probably because of his build. But as far as him being like a flash in the pan, it's it's just not on the table. Like this is this is what's happening. He's yeah, he's something else. Um, I, I got I do a couple like radio segments uh, dur- during the week. I got a lot of Devin HN questions. Uh, you know how did how soon does he take over the the number one role? And I I kind of had to give s- something of a non answer. Where it's like yeah, like he he doesn't have the frame to to just suddenly get. 20 25 carries or, or touches in a game and like Mostert isn't dust by any means we, we've seen him have some good games th- this season so as long as Mostert's healthy like HN maybe in name could, could be like the, the number one running back for, for Miami but I don't think that that necessarily means that he's scaling up to, to like this crazy volume but I think it while that that sounds you know not ideal for fantasy when it's HN like the the points per touch or and the yards per touch are just so astronomical. I mean, I, I've seen tons of these you know metric charts uh, uh, that this week, and all of them have it for running backs. And HN is like just way far top right, you know, for for all of them. Like the get the guy, the returns on, on every time he gets the ball are enough to where like you don't need to worry about the volume so much. 
that's true. And the McDaniel factor is real also. Like, I'm not saying a chance, a product of the system. I don't believe that at all any more than I do Tyreek Hill is, you know. But uh, McDaniel being in charge, it's, it's one of those things, man. I, like, defenses could adjust. Maybe they'll kind of, maybe the NFL will, you know, uh, have an emergency meeting. The other 31 teams will be like, what are we going to do about this offense? And maybe they'll be able to figure something out. But McDaniel will always be on the cutting edge of things, I think. Like, he's he's not one of these coaches whose play calling is just repeating the the, the plays that his uh, his daddy coach who hired him five years ago as an offensive assistant ran. You know, it's not like Cliff Kingsbury just uh, stealing Mike Leach's playbook and then just hoping that it works, pressing the same buttons over and over. It's like McDaniel is the guy who makes the play. So he's he's always going to be on the forefront of whatever the correct, the next correct answer is, you know, and uh, short of, of, of like a really, really nasty spree of offensive line injuries. I don't know what would slow this run game. No, I, I don't either. Pass game is golden too. McDaniel, just such a G love that guy. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I expect that the dolphins to, uh, to roll in this spot, them in the, uh, in the lines will be very popular survivor picks this week. I think they're, they're eating up like 70% of, of the survivor picks between the two of them. And I can't really see a reason to fade either of them. I'm going the lions. I'd say lions. Um, yeah. Because a, because of that. And, and B, I think the dolphins get the Panthers pretty soon or so, something uh, like, like that. So uh, I'll that's an ace up the that. sleeve for sure. Yeah. See, exactly. So we're playing the schedule game just a little bit. Um, Let's keep going here. Oh, boy. Um, we, we don't need to hang on to this one too long, but Patriots Saints. Well, it, it might be interesting. Um, you know, what would you call it? It's it's like a an ice bowl that is, is in normal weather or something like that. <laughs> uh, there's there's it, it sucks, man. I, I, I feel bad for the Patriots because. They've had such brutal injury luck as like Christian Gonzalez. That sucks for him. Judon. Uh, God, Judon, Jack Jones, uh, Jonathan Jones has missed a couple games. There's there's somebody else who I thought was hurt in the secondary. I can't remember now, but uh, oh, Marcus Jones. He's out for the year. Ugh, man, that's crazy. They went into the league with they went into the year with the deepest defensive back group in the league and just like all of them got hurt. Crazy. I can't remember anything like it. So, yeah. uh, with that said, no matter how many Patriots defensive backs get hurt, I don't have much faith in Derek Carr right now. I don't doubt that part of his struggles have to do with doing a new system. You know, any system other than John Gruden's is apparently just, you know, like a, a boulder up a hill to Derek Carr and going to Foxborough. Uh, Bill Belichick, you know, he's he gets mad, but I can't really imagine that guy getting truly deflated in the sense of like you know, not, not keeping the ire, you know, I, I can imagine Belichick caring more about a game like this after all the injuries, because he's just like, got to take it out on something. And it's like, he's, he's, he takes it out on obsessing over the game. So it wouldn't be terribly shocking to me that even with this thinned out group of corners, if Belichick came out and just totally pants Derek Carr, in fact, I kind of lean that way. Uh, but yeah, the Patriots are really beat up. No Judon is, crushing it's it's a huge huge injury. i think keon white is going to be an absolute monster but judon already is one he's already like a top five edge defender so yeah it sucks this game is going to be sluggish looking it, it would have been cool if the ravens didn't let matthew judon walk but um 
that 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 I suppose is, that is, also is another story because cool. they, yeah. they can't they can't get after the passer to save their lives. Although Clowney's apparently having a ridiculous year, like on pace for like eighty pressures or something wild like that. But he needs to uh, get home, make yeah. uh, get finish the finish the drill a little bit. Uh, we got an interesting question uh, as as it pertains to this game from our guy leaving. Maybe that's a punny name. I think it is. Um, it is Kamara's box score last week, where in which he had what was it, thirteen receptions or targets? Uh, targets for like 12, 12 catches for thirty yards or something. Yeah. So the the you know beat, beating the previous uh, ineptitude record by like forty yards on, on that type of target volume. So that that's crazy. Do you think that that's a function of Carr's shoulder yeah. not being all all oh, the way no. there? I was going to say. I, I mean, it, I think it, I think. It, it might have had something to do with it, but I think more so that's just the picture of Carr bailing on the offense. Like that's that's to me something that only happens when the quarterback isn't even running the plays. Really, like he's dropping back and he's just he's he's starting to do his reads, but for some reason he's he's got a reason in his mind. He thinks like, oh, I, I had to. They were coming to get me. The pressure was on me. But like, I'm guessing he's feeling the pressure sooner than it's there in part because he doesn't have any confidence in his ability to run through the progressions and is kind of just cutting the cord on the play every time. It's just like, where's Kamar? Just throwing it at yeah. him. He's like, like, oh, I don't want it. I don't want it. Just throwing it at him. And I think that's how you get that kind of box score. Uh, I I had seen from Saints fans and uh, like John Sigler is a really good Saints beat. Sig, that man. I, yeah, if you're, if you're looking for Saints stuff, go go look up his. He he he's a he's a fan, so he's like invested enough to like really go to the great depths to to try to find the answers. But he's also a a pro with you know the access and everything. And, he's also uh, a good poster, just generally. Yeah, and he he was alluding to that there might be kind of Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, the play caller, Pete Carmichael issues, and that maybe even Kamara was kind of alluding to that himself when he said after the game that there are some difficult conversations that need to be had. I don't know. I'm so low on car as like a, especially in a new system, I'm low on car that I didn't put the play calling as my number one culprit, you know, my number one suspect for, for the issues last week, but uh, it's possible. I mean, Pete Carmichael is no Sean Payton, even though that's basically his sales pitch as a coach. It's just like, I've, I've been Sean Payton's quarterback coach for like 17 years, you know, and it's uh, maybe he's just a really bad play caller and maybe, maybe, maybe car is that bad. And maybe Carmichael is that bad at the same time. I don't know. So yeah, that, that, going to Foxborough yeah. doesn't help though. Whatever no, it, it, it does not. And then, you know, with, with that, that potential, like kind of concerning processing issue with, with, with car. Do what's the, like Olave? Olave right? Sorry, okay. not, no worries about Olave. Olave is, uh, he's, he's goaded. I mean, true with, with the sauce even. So we have him as wide receiver 12 this week. So keep him going. Uh, don't think about benching him, but um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there, there are some, some limitations with, with Carr be, being his quarterback and, and going up to new England. Although but we'll see what, uh, what kind of impact the, the injuries across that defensive backfield um, are able to kind of manifest. Um, let's go Ravens Stillers. We've got the Ravens as four point favorites. Kenny Pickett uh, looks like he's going to be able to play in this one. Boy, the, what is up with the Steelers? They're a bad team, John. Uh, they they don't have enough good players. It seems uh, it, it'll be funny to see. Uh, man, 
one thing about the Steelers, the, when you when you run things the way they do, when you have the culture that they do, you better not ever be vulnerable. You better not ever have a weak team because if if your time comes where you're you're defenseless, no one will spare you like a second of misery because you've been asking for it. You've been kind of building up all this bad karma for so long. And if you're the Ravens, and if so, I had all this concern about the Ravens offense the first couple weeks, and I still have some. There's some things about budgeting their scheme that I don't like because too much of it always falls back on just Lamar being amazing. But man, last week, if they can if they can keep the offense looking like that, they might be able to just for the first time. I don't remember any game like it anyway. Like really, just destroy the Steelers. And the Steelers have, I, I don't think, ever really been in that, but maybe since like 1996 or something like that. Uh, you, it, my, my favorite regular season game of all time was the first game of the 2011 season in which the Ravens absolutely eviscerated the Steelers oh, okay. to, to start the year. My bad. Um, I should I should have just asked you. Was like, John, has yeah, I got, I got the, I got uh, the yeah, I got it right here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, immediately on top of the mind right here. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the Steelers offense can't do anything. And the Steelers defense has been the team's you know defense it's it's the reason why people don't push around the Steelers is the defense and yet uh yeah I forgot about the 2011 case they're asking for something like that here if the the Ravens can maintain their momentum on offense and I I'm biased in so many ways but I'm kind of optimistic that the Ravens can because as much as I didn't like everything he was doing in the first three weeks Munkin uh to me is kind of like I don't know, like three quarters of the way to McDaniel in the sense that like he's not committed to any one answer. He's not, he doesn't have his success because he pushes some button that just works for him over his career. It's like he figures things out. And I, I didn't like the way he started the year, but I I had, you know, granted I was so invested in Lamar and whatever else that I was like, I, I had no choice, but for my own sanity to hope that Munkin would figure it out. But I think he kind of showed last week that he could because that Browns defense had so many advantages on them. They had so many advantages on the Ravens. It would have been a perfectly good setup for the Ravens to have a good excuse to just lay an egg. And instead, they dominated. Like the whole game, they just they just immediately grabbed the throat and didn't let go. And if Munkin is is on one now, then the Steelers, you know, if they if they beg for mercy, no one will hear them. No. And uh, the Ravens also you know, famously injured team. Um, they might be getting some reinforcements of their own. Marlon Humphrey practiced for the first time since that's August. Uh, so that's huge. Um, we, we saw Beckham and Bateman both get in uh, practice work on, on Wednesday. That's good to see. Just, Justice Hill is dealing with a bit of a hamstring on top of that, that turf toe that I don't think has been totally resolved yet, uh, which, again, uh, gives me some hope that Keaton Mitchell – uh, is going to be able to to get in the mix a little bit. Is this the week? Just, is he activated? He he's trending that way because he he practiced in full on, oh, on man. Wednesday. Man, I gotta say, whatever haters we have out there, they better hope Keaton Mitchell doesn't. Oh my off. god, there is. If they think the brand has been annoying in the past, they they just don't understand how bad it can get. Oh, it's it's gonna get so much worse. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love Keaton Mitchell. I I really hope. He's ready to go. I really hope they have a role for him because uh, Lamar and it's it's not quite like Tyreek and Achan, but Lamar and Mitchell on the same field is one of those things to me that I'm like, can you please find some way to make this happen? Like I, I, 
I, I know it might not work. I know Keaton Mitchell went undrafted. I know he's tiny. I know he's not perfectly well-rounded as a running back. But just the, the category of, of having two players with that kind of speed and ability that they have on the field at the same time. Like, we've never tested the premise before. I want to see it. Show us. Come on, Todd. Do it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion that that the Ravens uh, go into Pittsburgh and and cover this spread uh, rather easily. Um, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, let's stay in the AFC North, but head out to the desert. We got the Bengals, the reeling Bengals, going up against the Arizona Cardinals, who are plucky, if nothing else. Yeah, uh, I, I was I was probably too harsh on Gannon. I I still think he's. Uh, He's like if Nate Hackett uh, wasn't wasn't likable, but th- there's there's got to be something going on where they have like a Bobby Slowick kind of thing going on. I don't know who their offense if it was Andre Wolfolk, the uh, the the quarterback coach. Is it Andre or am I just thinking? Was I did I just name that old corner uh, for the for the Titans? They have some Wolfolk who's a quarterbacks coach, and um, I have never seen a player in the Josh Dobbs circumstances play. Look, first, Dobbs can't play quarterback very well. He's terrible. And to to go to, like, a new system on, like, two weeks' notice like that and play the way he has, it's a testament to the offensive coaching. I don't know who it is, but someone in there is due for a promotion to a real team because it's it's pretty incredible what they've gotten out of Dobbs specifically. I've never seen anything like that at all. Uh, But it's also – I'm tempted by that, I guess, narrative because – uh, then I get to deny credit to Gannon again, and I can go back to uh, bashing him. But so you're perfectly positioned. Yeah, but uh, man, Burrow is messed up. I just don't know what I think about this game because, I mean, I I think Lou Anarumo is a really good coach on the the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, but Zach Taylor, you know, I thought I was I was I was maybe too. Uh, giving him too much benefit of the doubt last year where I thought he turned a corner as a coach. Like this does happen every so often where a young coach gets a job. They're not very good. And then after years of being annoyingly bad, they start to get better. And I thought Taylor might've done that last year, whatever it was in week six or something like that. When the Bengals offense started to get on track, it was, it was specifically because of an adjustment that Taylor had started making. And I thought like, maybe he's, maybe he figured it out. Maybe he realized like, Oh, I have to, I have to try to stay a step ahead. I can't just keep pushing the same buttons that worked last week. I have to try to stay a step ahead. And that's crucial. You have to understand that as a coach, a play calling coach, especially you just need to understand that and, and grasp it and be able to, you know, execute the, the concept. But I'm getting back to the point where it's like, I don't know if Taylor's quite a turned corner as much as he just got a little better than he was, which was to me, unacceptably bad. Like maybe he's not so much good, Maybe he just is a little better than he used to be, and maybe it's not enough. Certainly, with Burrow's calf like this, it doesn't seem to be enough. I don't get me wrong; I don't have a, I don't have a slam dunk proposal for what would make them better, other than you know giving, giving Burrow some kind of stem cell treatment or something in his calf. Uh, with Burrow in this state, he is so much not himself that I don't even know how to reason through the rest of the offense. Like he's. He's just not Joe Burrow. He might not even be Brandon Allen right now. And I don't know how to put numbers on things like that. Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell someone that the Bengals will win this game, you know? No, I don't, I don't either. And I, I think if you're looking at Burrow, if you have him on, on your, you know, season long fantasy team, 
like this is not and I like it's really high pressure right now because he has the Cardinals and the Seahawks these next couple weeks Seahawks um, at home and if he's not able to do anything in those games then you have the bye and then you have at San Francisco and home against Buffalo like that's that's a brutal stretch in in which like there might not be a week until next month where you feel good about starting him. Yeah, man. And I can't really remember a calf injury like this, which by the way, it sure seems like it sure seems like they're just kind of making it worse or at least not allowing him to recover by making him play all this time. And if it's not getting better now, why would it ever get better this year? Short of deactivating him, why would it get better? I just, I'm not trying to be grim. I don't really want to think about the answers to some of these questions that I'm asking, but it just seems to me like the whole thing is screwed. Like, I don't, I don't know how you fix this. Now T Higgins is out. I don't know. Like if Burrow was himself, none of these things would be an issue, but he just is not. And they're in such a tough spot because, you know, they obviously have Super Bowl aspirations. They can't, but they're also give it up. It's over. it's over. Got, Not those happening. are those are out the window. But like at, at the same time, you know there there is still time to to recoup some things, get in, get yourself into the playoff race. But if you lose a game because you let Burrow sit out for for a week, uh, you know that that's tough. But it's also compounding when you just keep putting him out there and he's still he's aggravating. And and yeah, exactly. So it's it's a really weird spot that the Bengals are in right now. And it you know as a result, you, know, you feel bad I think about they the just the offense. I think they just played it wrong. They should have just deactivated him for however long he needed to recover. They blew it, and now the season's over. Pretty much, man. So that's uh, hmm. it sucks. It, it sucks. it's uh, it's lame. Yeah, very lame. Uh, Eagles Rams. You got the Rams four and a half point underdogs at home. It shows some some legit respect. I feel like from the books. I, I, I'm gonna. As we as we discuss this, I'll look at what the opening line was and and where it was like in, earlier in September. Um, yeah, we, we were looking at six and a half for the Eagles o- over the summer, and the Rams the way they performed to, to start the year. You know, now now that that spread has dropped two points. Uh, the Eagles, they are the Eagles, um, so you expect them to win this game, but I, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I'm actually a little bit leaning towards the the Rams to cover this one, especially if Cup is back. It is tough for me to think through what Cup means in the offense, given that Nakua has been kind of a Cooper Cup anyway. But if there's some way that they can keep both going, like if they can keep Nakua being, well, Nakua, of course, will be a lot better than Ben Skowronek and whatever other jokers they've been lining up at receiver the last couple of years. But if they can find some way to keep Nakua at even like an 80% clip of what he's been at, and and at well you know 80 percent of what he's been at and then if cup comes back and is not even what he was you know last year or the year before if he's merely 90 percent of either of those seasons stafford's throwing for 400 yards like every other week like there's there's it, it, if those if those rates hold and maybe there's some reason it can't maybe it's just not possible maybe like cup has to get into a little bit of a zero something with nakua and Atwell, but Atwell clearly is different in nature than he was the recent past couple of years and Nakua is a variable that they have not had at all. So I kind of think there's some way for it all to coexist. Uh, Cooper cup is not going to get quite what his investors wanted if that's the case, but it might be 
you know, good for the overall health of the Rams offense and certainly Stafford's production. And I, I know this is like a weird crank opinion to have because I, I keep looking at his numbers and they're not that good. But I feel like Stafford's been incredible this year. Yes. And I don't I have like no evidence at all of it. It's just like it's just what I think when I'm watching. And then at the end of the game, I'm like, how the hell does he have no touchdowns and one interception? I felt like I was just watching him like do feet yeah, master class. Yeah, so um, in a way, like, like I'm forced to either accept that my crank opinion is just not true, or I can re- I can double down on it and say like, as a true well, crank does. Yeah, so then I can say, well, that just means Stafford's going to throw you know seven touchdowns on his next 100 attempts or something like that uh, against the Eagles. Never mind. I guess probably not. I don't know. It, 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 the Eagles' defense seems to me extremely legit. Like they're they're. Their defensive line, everyone's talked about it, obviously, but I still don't think people have a good like frame of reference for just what kind of stockpile they have at defensive tackle right now. Having someone like Jordan Davis playing just like 35 snaps a game and a guy like Carter playing the same thing, like these guys would play 55 snaps for almost any other defense. And so instead, that 20 snap difference is just going into them playing that much more juiced, you know? Right. And... I just don't know what any team can do about that. Uh, but the, the the Eagles are lacking corner depth with Avante Maddox out. Josh Job is just not really it. And uh, they've they've kind of introduced a weakness outside to, to accommodate Job because Job can't play the slot and Bradbury is who they've been trying in the slot. And I don't know if they know for sure how that's going. I, I don't know. what I have no recollection of Bradbury ever playing the slot before, but if you have to make Bradbury not Bradbury anymore and then introduce like a weaker player to, to replace his former uh, plus rep, then that might be tinkering with the formula a little too much. Like that might be, that might be opening up a problem that you didn't have before, even with the Maddox injury. So I do think in a way the Eagles, I I do think the Eagles have to be careful here. Like I, I wouldn't pick the Rams to win, but I do think this is a surprisingly dangerous setup for the Eagles, who I think have made things harder on themselves in a, at least a couple ways with how they've managed their offense to this point. No, definitely. I, I guess the, the, the way I see it going wrong for, for the Rams is akin to uh, how it looked on that Monday night game against the Bengals, where that the offensive line just can't hold up against a, a yeah. you know, a, an elite edge edge That's uh, a presence. So, so if that ends up being the case, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, the, the tackles were getting whipped by by Hendrickson and and um, uh, Sam Hubbard in that Monday night game. Uh, you know, th- this could look different. You know, where they get caved in on the, on the interior, but you know, it also suggests that you know, I think the Eagles' edge guys could also have a little bit more success th- this week. So that that's where it goes wrong for the Rams. But if they're able to hold up in protection, I think they cover. I think I'll take them to cover, yeah, because uh, one thing I also have to give the Rams credit for, Raheem Mostert, Raheem, Mostert, Raheem Morris must be doing a good job uh, running that defense because their corners suck, and yet they've been getting pretty, they've been getting pretty good pass defense results each week. So, man, if they, if they overachieve on defense in this one and, and get Hurts to kind of struggle the way he has in a couple games this year, the Eagles really better be careful. No, they, they absolutely need to be careful. And again, the, the spread reflects that, that, you know, that just four and a half points like the, this should be a competitive game in the afternoon window on Sunday. Moving on. Here's a sick game. 
Jets Broncos. I love the Jets here. I love them. Uh, I just I just want to watch this game. I don't even care who wins. Uh, but <laughs> I guess if I had to pick one, yeah, I'd lean the Jets. Yeah, I I'm I'm there with you. Um, it again, like I don't take any stock for for Zach Wilson almost looking okay uh, on I, Sunday night. But I will I think- say, John, I I have been a hater. I know it was only two drives or whatever, but I absolutely did not think Wilson had that. Zach Wilson, I, I thought he didn't have it in him. I didn't think he was capable of that. So, um, and e- even as a Zach Wilson critic all this time, I would admit there is a level of toolsiness to him. Like he obviously totally. does have a quick release and like a totally high velocity arm and he can run. So there's always been the tools there. It's just been like every single other met, every single other yes, variable upstairs. has been negative. So, uh, if he can start playing like that, I mean, that that really is a big change. I am skeptical still that he can sustain it. I think he was kind of just uh, – I think he was just kind of feeling it a little bit and taking some – he was like – he was firing aggressively on some things that were maybe guesses, you know? Like he, he was just kind of like hoping the play would work but was, was, was showing like the outward confidence of someone who just like knew it was going to even though he didn't. And uh, I think that's that's the next like – threshold for him is like it's one thing to 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 just play confidently enough to give yourself a shot like that's what he showed last week the other thing is the difference between guessing on those looks and knowing and that's where you tend to find it you know find it all out is like when you go against a good defense you have to actually know and uh this is not that week but will zach wilson if he's going to take a step it's going to be that he he needs to keep making those throws and it needs to be not just because he was like desperate enough to just fire it he needs he needs to he needs to start figuring out what he's looking at and knowing why that play happened why it worked you know the way it did because if he if he can't, if he doesn't understand the why then it's just chance basically and uh another water boy uh reference for you it ain't no guess it ain't no guess oh but, yeah uh, that's vicky valancourt i know that one lynn Swan. queen <laughs> <laughs> yeah to lynn Swan, that was awesome um <laughs> Vince one Dan Fouts in that movie. Oh my goodness. Uh, I got to watch that again soon. Um, it's good, but it, it's so good. Um, but beyond that, um, uh, what do you think of the potential of a Brees Hall coming out party that, this week? I, I think not only because of the workload limitations being lifted, but if Zach Wilson can carry over that performance for, from a week ago, all, all of a sudden the, the Jets look like they have some semblance of credible threats through the air and then definitely on the ground. Yeah, I think it's on. I mean, when I, when they said that hall has no limitations now, I did read that as an announcement that like cooks the off the bench now, like cooks, they're going to try to keep throwing him a bone, keep trying to patronizing him, but they're saying that this thing, this rotation is over. Like it's, it's, we're going to try to get breeze hall going until he needs a breather. And that's a totally different ball game. I mean, I, even as someone who's been just like the de facto running backs union spokesperson, I never liked that cook signing for the jets. I wouldn't have done it if I was them. And, uh, he has not been good. So giving hall the chance to get that rhythm down, get, get it all going early in a game. That's huge. It's something that they, they need to do it. And, uh, yeah, Hall's the real deal. Hall, I don't know if it's top five, but it's something like that, that, that he is as a running back talent and still don't know about the knee entirely, but you know, even if he's only like 85% Brees Hall, he's still a top 12 running back 
this is actually where his knee injury happened last year. It was in Denver. Yeah, you hope for, um, what is it, like poetic reasons or whatever that he can get hot in this game. And uh, yeah, all I know, to, all that I know is like, if the knee is okay, it is going to happen. And, uh, you, you know, people people back in the day at Iowa State would, would, would say that October was Brocktober. That was never the case. It was always Reestober. And oh, we're into okay. October. It's Breeze-tober, baby. Uh, he is going to light it up this week. Anything to, to look for on the Broncos side of things? I, I, get, I suppose, you know, the backfield, we, we started off the show talking a little bit about McLaughlin. It's a bad um, matchup for him, too. I didn't even factor that into all that uh, McLaughlin analysis. It's like, you're, you're paying to pick him up for a dud matchup. Right. That, that's a very good point. I, I, I think that the, the Broncos are going to have very little room to run. I'd, I don't hate starting Russ th- this week, and I think I do. Um, yeah, fair. I don't think it's fair. Yeah. Well, well, uh, would you say what you're going to mind, say because like, at least you, if you're going to say something to the effect because the Broncos won't be able to run either. Like, yeah, that that was basically with, it. That was yeah, it. I agree with that. So, like, it, I, I think it's gonna be like a busy day if nothing else for for Russ. So, like, it, maybe the yards per attempt look bad, but um, you know that there's just enough volume to where. Uh, it ends up working out and, you know, he's, he does have, uh, you know, stud receivers to, to work with. Hopefully they get Marvin Mims more in the mix, but uh, I'm tired of that broken kind of record bench. because they are just, they're never, unless they ship off Judy, which I'm, I'm hoping for directly for, for Marvin Mims purposes, but. Well, you um, could never bench Brandon Johnson. I mean, Oh, of course not, dude. You kidding? Um, so yeah, that that's the, that's the take on the Broncos, but either way, love the Jets, love the Jets plus one and a half. Chiefs Vikings, Chiefs four point favorites on the road in this one. The, the, the Chiefs haven't looked phenomenal yet, and that we're a month into the season. Uh, I, you know, I don't count the Bears game for for them. They don't they don't get to get credit for that one. Um, you're, but going into a dome situation here against the Vikings. Uh, your, your thoughts on this one? We have a really high over under in this one. It's uh, fifty three. I'm t- I like the under in that. Okay, so I'm skeptical of the over under, uh, the over rather. I mean to say, but I'm open to it if it's just because the Chiefs cover violently, like which I think <laughs> is very much on the table. Because mm. I'm sorry, the Vikings suck. They're they're a crap team. Their their coach doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe, Maybe O'Connell will turn a corner at some point, but right now he has no idea what he's doing. And the Vikings roster sucks, uh, at least on defense. It's just not very good. So um, if they want to do this thing too, where they spend the first 20 snaps of every game, putting KJ Osborne out there to establish a run game that they don't even try to establish, they'll bury themselves by the time the first quarter is over. But the way part of the reason why I'm so, much lower on the Vikings in this matchup is I think the chiefs defense is good. I don't think it's just another chiefs defense. I think it's the best one we've seen in some number of years. And I think Kirk cousins is, I mean, granted it's not a primetime game and at least it's at home. So that's good. But unless the chiefs, unless Steve Spagnaldo pulls off in the second half, I don't know why Kirk cousins would get any comfort in this game. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, I have some flickering optimism that the, the Vikings will be able to have some success on offense. But well, Jefferson, uh, Jefferson's pretty yeah. much non-negotiable. So it's the question is like, does someone else do anything? 
And uh, in this case, I think they need at least two people. And one of the, the best second candidate after Jefferson, they leave on their bench. Addison. Yeah. Yeah, they, they need to get that figured out pronto tanto. Maybe if they um, just throw it 20 times a game to TJ Hawkinson at six yards a target, something will turn for the better there. I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a, a great use of allocation of, of your resources. Um, but I, I don't have a lean on the, on the spread here at, at this time, but I, I do like the, the under. Um, but I don't know. It should be it, it's an interesting game. I, I, I don't really know what, what yeah. to fully expect here. Um, let's get to the primetime games and then we'll, we'll, uh, get on out of here. Best game of the week. Maybe the best regular season we'll get this whole, whole year. We got the Cowboys going out to the Bay area to face the 49ers, 49ers, three and a half point favorites. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I am the only person on earth who's not just completely sold on Brock Purdy as the next Tom Brady, but the reason why it's a tough question with Purdy is because there are all these structural benefits that he has, like, you know, the, the Shanahan play calling uh, Trent Williams is apparently a good offensive line in himself. The yeah. pass catchers, uh, the run game, McCaffrey specifically. It's like, you see all these, you see these people who talk about like, have you seen the 49ers record since the Brock Purdy started? Like those are also, that's since the McCaffrey trade. Like, yeah, you, you could McCaffrey is clearly the more important detail there, uh, but that's not a suitable narrative for uh, our moneyed media. So we, we have to talk instead about how it's the quarterback and not the expensive running back that's making this offense so good. But uh, those real benefits are there for Purdy, and it's not easily undone, even against a good defense like Dallas's. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I distrust Dallas just kind of categorically in matchups like this. So I pick the 49ers to win. To me, the question is like, how ugly is the game? Because I could see it being ugly from both sides. Dak Prescott against the 49ers defense could get ugly. Brock Purdy versus the Dallas defense could get ugly. But I do expect the 49ers to win with some level of comfort because there is, as much as Tony Pollard is very good, the 49ers defense is tougher against the run than the Dallas defense is against the run. And Christian McCaffrey is, you know, above Pollard. So... I see the 49ers eking it out at worst, but I there's also the scenario too where Dak has like three first half interceptions and one gets returned for a touchdown and then they don't move the ball at all. Yeah, I I'm of the opinion that San Francisco is the best team in football. They're a total wagon. Um I think the Cowboys are, are top five, but I, I think we're about to see like how far ahead the, the Niners are, which is which is crazy because again, Brock Purdy is their quarterback and they're still like this good. Um so the, the Shannon stuff, it works. Having Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, and that defense, it's it's hell to deal with. So I, I like the I like the Niners in this spot. Um and then we'll round it out. Packers Raiders. Um Packers one point favorites on the road. Uh I don't think we'll we'll see Aiden O'Connell this week. Should be Jimmy G back, I would I would imagine. Yeah. Um but uh I'll take the Raiders, honestly. Both of these yeah. teams are stupid. Mm. I will give I will give Green Bay this. I do think LaFleur is a is a decent coach. At least he 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 uh he's a good offensive coach, and maybe he is guilty of negligence toward his other parts of his roster. I don't know. Uh but yeah, the Raiders are totally stupid, but the, the Packers with Jordan Love, I mean, 
he was he's been bad this year. I I was I think as recently as last week saying like I didn't really know how to call it. After the Saints game, I didn't know how to call it anyway. Last week, it was brutal, man. That I, was tough. It's been too long for him to be playing like this. It's it's over. Wow. Oh wow. But I mean, I it's hard to argue the other side of it. I mean, we haven't Raiders seen do suck. I'll give them that. Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of where I end up landing is just like the, the Raiders are so bad and McDaniel's such a doofus that um <laughs> you know that the Packers find a way and it, again it's just a one point it's basically a pick them so um I, I think I'm, I'm gonna have to go with with the Packers here I can see this being a push though I can see this being like 21 20 this this could this could be an overtime tie to for like 17 points or something it's it's what we deserve I think yeah. um Monday Night Football how much do you love football you love it, a tie between these two bozo teams. They hate us, so it's 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 important that we offset that by liking it that much more. Oh, look, there's 100%. the there's a guy in the background. Oh, there he is, Mr. B Boy. Yeah. Finally, finally, uh, <laughs> yeah, just coming in to uh, to close out the show. Um, but that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, thanks to our friends over at the Blue Wire Network at Rival Fantasy, and at Circa Resort and Casino. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com